On this episode of the Movie Musical Shakedown, we're going to be taking a look at a film that Stanley Kubrick called the best film he had ever seen. That's right, we're talking about all that jazz right here on the Movie Musical Shakedown, brought to you by the Onstage Blog Network. It's showtime, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention for This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. talent and see what we can do with it. You're going to make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Tommy, can you hear me? life. The rest is waiting. That's very theatrical, Joe. Yeah, I know. Did you make it up? I wish I had. You like it? Well, it's all right. It's showtime, folks. The early 1970s nearly killed Bob Fosse. It's true. He had just won the Oscar for directing Cabaret, he had just finished filming his follow-up, Lenny, based on the life of comedian Lenny Bruce, and at the same time was also directing a brand new Candor and Ed musical set to open on Broadway titled Chicago. Combine this work schedule with his own habits and demons, it ended up putting an ungodly amount of stress on the man. It was this dark period in Fosse's life that actually inspired the idea for all that jazz. The film has stirred debate since its opening nearly 40 years ago. Some have called it a shining example of self-indulgence, and others have called it a masterpiece. The film was written by Fosse himself, along with Robert Allen Arthur, who sadly died before its release. Initially, Fosse wanted Robert De Niro to play Joe Gideon, his alter ego in the film. Others considered were Warren Beatty, Jack Nicholson, Dustin Hoffman, and Keith Carradine. Eventually, the role went to Richard Dreyfuss, Columbia Pictures wanted a name for the film, and Dreyfus's career was on fire at the time, coming off of Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and he had just won the Oscar for Best Actor for The Goodbye Girl. The other roles in the film closely mirrored significant people in Fosse's life. Playing his daughter was a Riesbeth Foldy. Playing a role based on Gwen Vernon was two-time Tony Award-winning actress Leland Palmer. And even John Lithgow was cast as a rival director who was inspired by chorus line creator Michael Bennett. And playing her version of herself was Anne Rankin, who actually had to audition several times to get the role. As rehearsals began, Fosse and Dreyfus butt heads over the director's abrasive style. One night, Dreyfus was at a friend's apartment and confessed, I don't think I want to do this movie. I don't like Fosse, and he doesn't like me. I just don't feel mentally prepared to do this thing. And with that, Dreyfus quit the film, a decision he would later admit was a mistake. The leading man search began again. Paul Newman, Alan Alda... Ryan O'Neill, and James Kahn this time were all considered. The role would eventually go to the friend that Dreyfus confided in, his co- Jaws co-star, Roy Scheider. Even though Scheider was coming off the best decade of his career, the studio wasn't convinced and wanted more of a named star. However, Fosse fought for Scheider to play the role and got his way. The film's budget ended up being about $12 million, much more than Columbia Pictures wanted to spend. 
Production began in Astoria Studios in Brooklyn. Fosse was meticulous with everything when it came to the production. He shut it down for three weeks just to rehearse for the erotica scenes. He actually scouted 25 hospitals for the right ones for the surgery scenes. Production took 101 days. Fosse would actually take the next eight months to edit the film. With one artery still partially clogged, Fosse had began having chest pains through shooting, and now continued to have chest pain through the editing process. The film was finally released on December 20th, 1979. It opened to a paltry 38000 but then ended up grossing over $37 million, more than tripling its budget. It was met with mixed reviews from critics. Variety described it as a self-important, egomaniacal, wonderfully choreographed, often compelling film. The New York Times called the film an uproarious display of brilliance, nerve, dance, confessions, inside jokes, and especially ego. An essentially funny movie that seeks to operate too many levels at the same time. But all that jazz went on to become an awards darling, with nine Academy Award nominations, including Best Actor, Best Director, and Best Picture, which marked Fosse's third straight film to be nominated for the top award. All that jazz ended up winning four. In the decades since, All That Jazz has become one of the more interesting films of its generation and hailed as one of the best movie musicals of all time. Now, when we come back, I'm going to be joined by my co-host and wife, Nicole, who is a big fan of this movie. And as a dancer, incredibly qualified to break down this film. We'll cover all of our categories, talk about the deeper and dark themes of the movie, and even hand out some interesting awards. But first, as always, here's the trailer. Candy Casey, very good. You're going to do it again, Victoria. Stop smiling. It's not the high school play. Count. Five, six, seven, eight. All that work. Stand on your right foot. Point your left toe. Drop that shoulder. All that pain. Oh, that's not too hard, is it? Oh, boy, do I hate show business. All that glitter. Come on, jokes is what I need. Joe, you love show business. That's right, I love show business. All that love. I'll go either way. It's showtime, folks. All that jazz. Shakedown, and I am now joined by my co-host and beautiful wife, Nicole Peterson. Nicole, thank you for joining me again. Thank you for having me on our couch. Yeah. So this is <laughs> this is the luxurious onstage blog network studios. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a high tech operation here, folks. Literally, it's a microphone. We're sitting across from each other on the couch with a microphone in between us, but. This is going to be a lot of fun. This is our second podcast now. Can you believe it? Third. Oh, it's our third podcast. Oh, third. that's right. I'm forgetting. Oh, my gosh. Is my time worth so little? Right. Apparently, <laughs> time flies. So it's our third episode together. Mm-hmm. 
possibly one of the last, last ones, ones we'll do for a while because I'm going back on the road for work. So I'll probably be doing mm-hmm. a lot of these remotely with a lot of other people. But still, it's been fun being home and doing these with you live. Yeah. I think it adds a, a special quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. So, but yeah, I'm glad to, glad to be doing this with you. And I'm also glad to be talking about one of your favorite movie musicals. Ever. Um, ever. Or should I even should I even go bigger and just say one, it's one of your favorite movies? It's period. ranked number two of my favorite movies of all time. There you Singing go. Singing in the Rain and Newsies are tied for first. So, so it's like a 1A, 1B, and then two is yes. all that jazz. Should I ask yeah. what number three is? Do you have an immediate answer for that? No? No. Okay. That, no. We'll get to that. I promise. But <laughs> all that jazz, definitely a fascinating film a film that stirs a lot of debate and discussion uh as i said earlier in the podcast stanley kubrick called it his favorite film of all time he thought Mm -hmm. it was the best film he's ever seen what were your initial thoughts when you saw this movie um i was not allowed to see it when i wanted to see it when when did you initially want to see it oh when i was a kid because i wanted to watch any dance movie that i could or just every single one yeah and I, as a student who is studying dance outside of New York, a lot of my teachers came from a background that included some Fosse training, and I was like, oh, I have to see it. But I was not allowed to because, mm-hmm. you know, boobs and sex and all of that stuff. So Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I saw it when I was, I think, 16 or 17 and bought it as soon as I could and... For a long time during college, would watch it to fall asleep. So uh, it's yeah, I'm very. It's a very personal movie yeah. to me. Well, for me, this is when we watched it the other night to get ready for this podcast. That was actually the second time I've watched the film start to finish. Mm-hmm. First time was with you right. when we first started dating. Um, but and I'd seen like clips. Uh, in the past, mm-hmm. but never from start to finish. So for a second time around, um, definitely a lot more feelings and thoughts and, and picked up on a lot more than I did the first time I saw it. So very, very excited uh, to to be talking about this with you. A couple thoughts that I had. I think I'm glad I watched this again for a second time because I feel like this movie requires repeat viewings. Mm-hmm. You can't necessarily get everything out you want from it just by watching it once no you know? and you feel different things each time you watch it i mm-hmm. mean how i felt watching this when i was 17 i connected very much to kate that character and now i connect very closely with audrey and i just there when you're watching it there are new things to discover every time and again maybe that's me well yeah Yeah, (laughs) and i watch it all the time i think it's from a character thing i think it's from a filmmaking angle and even choreography i mean i was pointing out steps that you've seen me use before Mm -hmm. in dances as we were watching it and this has influenced me so much as a dance teacher just so much well you see a lot of you see a lot of that fossey style the mm-hmm. signature style, but then you see little bits and pieces of things that he's used in other shows as well uh, that you probably not, you know, one might not have caught the first time they watched oh, it. I have a list for you. Don't worry. There you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there's there's a lot of things that I picked up on the second time. And I think for anybody watching this movie, you need to watch it at least twice uh, to really soak it all in because there is so much that he's trying to say 
in everything that he does. And, and Fosse, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, Nicole, but mm-hmm. and for those of you who are Fosse fans and experts, but I mean, the man didn't do anything without thinking it through meticulously before he did it, from his choreography to the way he edited a film to the way he and sound worrying mixed. about it for years and worried about it for years, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think when you watch this film, nothing is being just thrown in there. Everything's done with a purpose, which makes it a fascinating watch uh, on that end. For me, I guess you could say the one downside about this movie, it's a little long. You know, it's, it's, it flies by. It's over two hours. I mean, you could probably cut Where? 20 minutes from that what, movie. What would you cut? I mean, I don't think you need that entire conversation with the actress who comes over and visits him late at night. Victoria, I think, and, she, and that whole discussion about how she wants to be a movie actress and stuff like that. Oh, I didn't mind that. I think you could cut. You could cut some half of, of that him scene. getting lost at the end is too much for me. Right. But I think only because I'm already so upset that right. watching him deteriorate so much just like breaks my heart. And as much as I like seeing John Lithgow in this movie, you probably don't need him in this movie. I mean, I, I think you could take out those couple was... scenes, and then you still get the same film. That was not. That was like a personal dig for Fosse. Oh, though. of course, like, I, he definitely wanted to put an fu to Michael Bennett in there. But <sighs> you know, it's just one of those like, yeah. I mean, just for time purposes, I think you could have probably cut out all that stuff. Um, definitely the the diner scene where you know he's kind of being a dick, uh, <laughs> and whatnot. I think you could probably do without that as well. But and at that time, I mean, Lithgow was actually a certified, you know, star. So I think it could have been more of kind of like a special cameo rather than a supporting role at that point. I know, but at the same time, in a movie where there's no villain. It's true. The villain who, is himself. He's the villain. He's the villain, yeah. I mean, you need to have some some juxtaposition to who he is and why he feels the way he does. Right, right. No, that's a good point. All right, so let's get into our categories. As we do with all of these podcasts, we have multiple categories that we like to talk about. First is called chill scenes. Now, the, we, we all know... Uh, anytime we're watching a movie, there are, there are moments in films and stage musicals, for that matter, that just give us the chills. Whether it's for you know makes us emotional, whether it makes us laugh, whether it's just significant parts that's just like ooh, that was awesome. So the, I, for for this podcast, we call them chill scenes. So for all that jazz, Nicole, what were some of your chill scenes oh, for so this many. movie? So okay. many. Okay, give me give me like three. <laughs> Because I've only it's got. Because really I only have three. So. Oh, geez, Louise. Yeah. Okay, so um, Kate's dance sequence in, when he's having his hallucinations in the hospital, and it's that iconic moment with her in the black derby, like. When you say Kate, you mean Anne Rankings. Anne character. Rankings. Thank character. you. Okay. Yes. yes. Okay. Anne Rankings solo, um, and it's just so iconic. And so what Fosse was about at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I love when she and uh, Audrey are lighting the cigarette for the daughter because you see Fosse's two styles. You see that very 70s and ranking legs, what he eventually became. And you also see where he started yeah. with the the body type and the movement of... Gwen Verdon, like mm-hmm. in Leland Palmer, like right. you see those two images on top of one another. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's one. Two, all of the stuff with all three women saying goodbye to him. 
at the so, end, at, during the, the final number. It, but also when they're waving goodbye to him when they're being carted away in the, on top of the hearse mm, yeah. because they're being pulled away from him mm-hmm. instead of him being pulled away from them. And right, it's right. like he has control over the situation still. Um, and it's just heartbreaking. Um, and then... Give me one more chill scene. <sighs> the... Do they, all of the pas de deux, all the duets between the dancers in the erotica scene. Mm-hmm. As a young dancer, I didn't know that movement could make me feel the way that did. Mm. Just because it was beautiful lines and it was absolutely gorgeous technique. But and it was ballet. I mean, it was ballet, but it was still pushing boundaries in a way that I had never seen before. Right. So whenever I watch that, I'm just like, this is what dance can be. And it's so exciting to me. And that's probably why of, you know, when they did the musical Fosse on Broadway, mm-hmm. that ended up winning the Tony for Best Musical, that they picked that number. Well, and of show. course, out of all of them, I mean, that was the most controversial number. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it, it's really the most classical number too I mean aside from the real like abandonment at the end when they're all just losing it those moments all of the potages and the little solos that you see are just they're exquisite Mm -hmm. they really are beautiful and I have chills now thinking about them there you go she's got chills now thinking about it for me I had three significant chills oh wait wait can I have one more okay fine (laughs) just the opening credits with the flash bulbs Oh, like the the actual opening title sequence. The opening title sequence okay. with the flash bulbs. Mm-hmm. Whenever it starts, I get like you hyped. Get, you get giddy. Like I'm like it's coming. It's so starting. <laughs> I'm excited. You're excited. Oh my god, that's okay. awesome. I think those are really good chill scenes for me. And actually, kind of to piggyback off of your comment about the opening title sequence, one of the, my chill scenes was the opening sequence to begin T with. For two. The, the T for two. Um, audition, the audition. The, that whole the cattle call. Same thing for, you know, a chorus line in the movie, which I'm sure we're going to get to on this podcast at some point, and I don't have great things to say about that movie, but we'll, we'll get to You're that when we get nice. to that. <laughs> we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, but for me, I love seeing the audition process for theater in any film whatsoever, and it, because nine times out of ten, they get it right. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, it's, it's, it's so incredibly accurate. And what I love about the opening sequence of this is that you get to basically see through... How Bob Fosse worked. Yeah, exactly. How Bob Fosse would have done that audition through Roy Scheider's performance. Because obviously Bob Fosse is directing this film. So he, from from the way that Roy Scheider is kind of crouching down on the stage, mm-hmm. looking, he's not in the audience, sitting in the audience, watching from afar. He's actually on the stage. He's interacting with the dancers. He's, he's actually going up to the, each and every one of them individually and saying yes or no which I think even if I was a performer back then auditioning for Bob Fosse, if he took the time to come over to me and say, it's not going to happen, thanks well, so much for coming. he was a dancer, though. Right. I mean, and he didn't have the best technique, so he faced more rejection than acceptance exactly. until he became the creator of it. And I think that's such an awesome thing because it encourages you as a performer. It makes you obviously respect the man even more. So I'm sure there are thousands of dancers um, from that era that probably have a story like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, where when they saw all that jazz, they're like, that was me at some point. So I think, mm-hmm. and what I love about that sequence is that while it definitely emphasizes how hard it is to get into this business and how to be successful in this business, 
it also makes the business look very attractive as well. And, you know, there, I don't think there's a dancer out there that saw that and said, I don't want to do that. No, but and when you look at Catherine Doby, who's his dance captain, and she mm-hmm. plays herself in this movie. She's the dance captain right. teaching the choreography in the beginning of the film. Like, you can see why he trusted her so much, because she was an amazing vehicle for not only just embodying his movement, but also breaking it down and explaining it to other people yeah. and just watching her in that is so cool and I I just wrote down Catherine Doby is killing it in her sassy boots already like first <laughs> first minute first minute of the movie <laughs> uh, another chill scene for me was the rehearsal scene where Victoria's yeah. just not getting like lay back lay back yes. and that conversation that he has with her where she basically says you know like I'm not good I'm mm-hmm. not great and he's like look I'm not going to make you a good dancer I'm not going to make you a grand dancer but I'm going to make you a better dancer and then she does the, the combination again, and he's like, better. And then that with that whole one word of encouragement mm-hmm. and the kiss on the forehead, that just changes the entire mood in the room. It changes her as a performer. Um, and I think for a lot of performers out there, we probably have all had a moment like that. Yes. Where you get that well, encouragement and especially in dance when, and again, you could maybe say something to this about being an actor who's you know not white and who's trying you know all of that but being a dancer who was not skinny mini mm-hmm. I mean half of the comments I got weren't about my dancing right so to have a mentor really want you to just be a better dancer like that is just so touching it's touching it's huge the third for me was the dance rehearsal scene that he had with his daughter oh, in, yeah. the, in the movie what I love about that scene is they're having a really earnest conversation Mm -hmm. but they're doing it while they're dancing what that that told me a couple of different things one it told me that you know she wanted to be active and uh, an active participant in the Mm -hmm. stuff that he loves and at the same time it also says to me that he can't truly disconnect from his job in order to have a moment with his daughter Mm -hmm. so like that that conversation between them could not occur over a cup of coffee at a diner it had to have you know for for her to have that moment with him it would have to have occurred in a dance studio with them doing that otherwise they have no time at all right well and i think that's for every relationship he has in his life he invites them in Mm -hmm. to say okay i'm allowing you into this part of my life just like when he's done and he's dying he's the one who says now it's time for you to go right he's constantly in charge of his own facility and Mm -hmm. never really ever gives it up that's a good point all right let's move on so with any movie especially musicals because they're so fantastical sometimes the audience is left with some lingering questions some unanswered questions about the film about its cast about its director and you know things that we wish were properly answered in the film that that weren't Um, or questions about the people afterwards so i like to call this section lingering questions so nicole did you have any lingering questions about this film after um, seeing it for the hundredth time? Yes. Why? I really do want to know this. Why were they dressed as arteries at the end? Why are they in arteries? During the final number. Yes, yeah. during the final numbers. Why are they in artery unitards? Mm-hmm. Like, not that I'm, not that I hate it. I think it's strange and unsettling. And I think, I mean, that is his death. So the fact that the dancers are showing literally what he died from Mm -hmm. i don't really have a problem with it i just want to know why (laughs) right right it's an interesting costume choice yeah um why so much lame is it supposed to be just used for the reflection especially at the end so he uses a lot 
of reflective techniques in all of the movies he does. If you're thinking of like Joel Grey at the beginning and end of Cabaret and how mm-hmm. he uses the reflection in the glass to show the Nazis and how the right. audience has changed. He does that a lot in the final number of this movie too. And as he starts to deteriorate throughout the movie, like you see his reflection in the mirror less and less. You mm-hmm. see his back, you see his chest, but you don't see his face anymore. So I'm wondering, like you see so much more of his own reflection just in the end. Why is that just a technique he liked? Is it like I've thought about this movie a lot? If you yeah. can't tell, <laughs> well, it's, it's, from a design standpoint, yeah, they've been, you could you could have achieved the same effect, an emotional impact of that entire sequence without the lume, um, without that much lume. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting choice of why they put it in there. And right. with someone like Fosse, I mean, he would not have approved that unless it meant something. So that's that's interesting. Any other lingering questions about this film? Um, just one that I want to send out to Ben Vereen and just say why. Because you, like, he meant so much to me and I kept writing, there's no one like Ben Vereen. Yeah. Why did this happen? Yeah, and Ben Vereen's been canceled. Uh, that... <sighs> For those of you who obviously don't know, you should just Google Ben Vereen 2018 and, and you'll see why. I just, um, and I, I, like so many of my notes are just like, this is making me so sad because yeah, and, I, like yeah. he's one of the reasons why I started dancing. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it sucks when your heroes, and, and you know, and to, to furthermore, I mean, Kevin Spacey was my, one of my favorite actors growing up. I mean, that, that was someone that was like, man, when you talk about classical training as an actor, you know, he was he was the man, and I kind of equated. I wrote an article earlier in the year that kind of equated it to the Major League Baseball steroids thing in the 1990s, where you're watching your role models fall, and it's a very no, it's traumatic thing because then you're devastating. like it's devastating because then you're like, do I still can I still love the work? Can I still love the performer? But I mean, and he touched and, every part of. I mean, I think he started in Zubilee Zoo, so yeah. literally from the time that I was an infant and toddler, mm-hmm. his dancing has influenced my life. Yeah. And I mean, you met him once and I asked you yeah. not to wash your hands so that I could shake that hand yeah. too. <laughs> that, that comment has not aged well either. Um, <laughs> nor is that an interaction. And, and actually folks, if you do, if you do decide to Google Ben Vereen, definitely take a look at the New York post article. Cause it'll be kind of ironic that you're listening to, this podcast on onstage blog and then just do yourself a favor and read that New York post article. Cause you will see that, that I myself actually had a lot to do with the Ben Vereen stuff that came out. And it's, it's, it's complicated because again, to your point, he is an incredible, he is an incredible performer and his work in the seventies and eighties is such so many people. Amazing. And it's just, but it's, it's again, the person that, and, you, and it's, it's one of those things where you have to kind of separate the performer and the person. So it's right. like, you know, the performer is amazing, but the person probably a monster. Well, and that's what's so difficult about it too. And I mean, just because the person as a technician mm-hmm. and that's, that's part of the trouble with the separation yeah. in the first place. So one of my lingering questions, and this mm-hmm. is kind of like an overall question, not necessarily about the film itself within it, but also kind of like the outside of it. Why isn't Bob Fosse regarded as one of the best film directors of his generation? I mean, you look at the, look at the statistics. He, he made five movies in his life, mm-hmm. five actual feature films. Three of them were nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Three in a row, by the way, for the, were nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Sweet Charity, the fourth one, did actually get Oscar nominations, just not for Best Picture. So mm-hmm. actually, actually, four of his movies were nominated for Best for, for Academy Awards. 
His fifth movie, Star, Star 80, 80 yeah. uh, was not, but it actually did. I mean, the achievement there is he got Eric Roberts a Golden Globe Award. So there you go. Um, that's an achievement by itself. Oh, so, but also, I mean, that was, you know, going you know back and forth, waffling between X ratings and things like right. that, just because the subject matter was so different. But my my point is. I, I will have to definitely go back and look at this. And if anybody listening to this knows this answer, is has there been another director out there that has had three straight movies of his or her um, nominated for Best Picture? I think that's an, just an absolutely almost rare achievement, unheard of achievement. And and for some reason, he is never mentioned in that you know lexicon with the greats such as mm-hmm. Spielberg, Coppola, you know Scorsese, and all these other guys. Well, I also think part of it is because he burned a lot of bridges in mm. the industry, mm-hmm. and especially with all that jazz, which I think was what the last one. Uh, no, be, Star Eighty was. Oh, the, well, no, to be nominated. To be nominated, yes. Um, because I mean, literally, the people who were his enemies, he turned into characters in the movie mm-hmm. and made fun of them, right? In the movie, and I mean, it's going to be kind of hard to come back from that. And I, you know, at that point in his career. I don't think he cared much. Right. That's true. <laughs> but. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, any other lingering questions, Nicole, that came up during this movie? Um, what? So there's a comment in here, and it's such a small line. There's a comment. It's, it's a teeny little line. Um, and it's when Paul, the composer, is lamenting. Um, oh, when he starts singing the Take Off With Us song. Mm-hmm. And one of the producers is like, oh, maybe we could get an airline buy-in. And I was like, you could never get an airline buy-in with a Fosse show. I mean, really? Right. Even like... Well, actually, that, that leads into another question I had. And I was, I, I was going to bring this up later, but I'll bring it up now. The Take Off With Me. I mean, what this movie is based on is his his period where he's editing Lenny. And he's directing Chicago at the same time. So if this is based on his life, my, my, I wonder what number was so controversial that he staged in Chicago that they, you know. But Chicago, I don't think you understand, is that he kept re-editing it. So oh. that the dance scenes kept becoming more grotesque and more uh, obscene as the edits continued. Okay. So he wasn't ever just presenting one like a flashy obscene so there was, dance. So, for instance, like all that jazz, the opening number in Chicago, might wasn't like the the controversial number. It was the whole piece. That... It yes, because okay. the backup dancers would it slowly morphed into something darker. Gotcha. And I think this is his reflection on the choices that he made to make that show darker, and that the critics didn't want it. Interesting, interesting. All right, so let's move on. Next section. This is a new section, folks. Again, like I said, we're we're eight episodes in, seven episodes in. Eight. Oh my god, eight? eight! This is now officially five more episodes longer than I've ever done any podcast ever. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so this we're we're always evolving. We're going to be adding new sections and things like that. But one new section that we're doing is: Would this movie have been better with the studios? second choice, first choice, anybody else that they were considering for this particular role. And the two choices I have for you. First, Nicole, mm-hmm. I have a question. Would this movie have been better with Richard Dreyfuss no. as Joe? No. 
No. Absolutely not. Not in, not in any universe whatsoever. No, could you picture Richard Dreyfuss's voice going, it's showtime, folks, <laughs> every time we woke up in the especially, morning? Especially not in 1979. No. 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 And he didn't have... I mean, now, I, when I think of Richard Dreyfuss, I think of sharks. Like, I don't... <laughs> I know he's done other work. I know he's done other very good work, but all I can really think of is Jaws, Um, which is funny because, I mean, when you put him and Roy Scheider next to each other, no matter what, I'll always pick Roy Scheider. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, especially at the time, I mean, in 1979, I mean, Roy Scheider was older, Mm -hmm. so I think he was more believable in that character rather than a very young Richard Dreyfuss who's four years from Jaws. But, I mean, Richard Dreyfuss in... I don't see him as a dancer. There's nothing about him that says he has command of his own facility and his own body. And maybe that's just how he's putting it out there as an actor, the roles he's choosing. Mm -hmm. But whereas I feel like Roy Scheider, he he commands the space the way a stage actor does a little bit more. I think that also Roy Scheider can make himself or made himself look a lot I guess I don't want to use the word grimier, but there's definitely like a you got to clean your life up, pal, type of ability to portray that character that Dreyfus would never have gone to that length mm-hmm. to do. When Dreyfus, Dreyfus could play neurotic, but it's a very... But he had a baby face. Yeah, it's a very like nerdy type of like neuroticism. You know, mm-hmm. with with Roy Scheider, it's debauchery. Like you can, you believe the debauchery Well, and also, life. I mean, when you look at Fosse, Fosse was a handsome leading man until mm-hmm. his early 20s when he started to lose his hair and he started to age very quickly mm-hmm. and so you figure he was a leading man type for a short while he had it in his grasp and then he lost it and when yeah. you look at Roy Scheider he has that potential he's that almost really handsome guy but not quite there so you can see that in there where What's his face? Uh, Dreyfus, Richard Dreyfus. I don't even think had that grasp. Mm. You know, he always has just gone for the the nerdier character. And it's a shame that he quit because this movie. I mean, it's not a shame because I think Roy Scheider did a shame. A, you know, much better performance. <laughs> but um, you could say that Richard Dreyfus has not really even approached a character like this since you know since all that jazz. I mean, he's played very kind of almost safe roles and, and, and people without a lot of these, you know, um, you know, demons and things like mm-hmm. that. You just don't see like that type of portrayal coming from, from him. So, um, yeah, interesting, interesting career moves there. All right. For Audrey, mm-hmm. other than Leland Palmer, two time Tony award winning Leland Palmer, who I thought was fantastic in this role. The other person they were considering was Shirley MacLaine. Mm-hmm. Would this movie have been better with Shirley MacLaine as, as Audrey? Other, a.k.a. Gwen Verdon. I mean, visually, I think it would have been a much more obvious choice because of her shape and her hair mm-hmm. and her skin. I mean, she just, she looks a little bit more like Gwen Verdon. But at the same time, you know, Leland Palmer is a, is a fossy dancer. Right. And... You know, it's she. She came out of retirement to do this movie for mm-hmm. him, like, you know. And I think it's it speaks a lot to that relationship. And she had a personal relationship with Gwen Verdon too. So, like, you know, I don't think one would be better than the other. All I know is the one that 
I'm familiar with. And I think it's a beautiful performance. So, yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, this is obviously before Shirley MacLaine. This is before Terms of Endearment, obviously. And when Shirley becomes kind of that well-known, phenomenal screen actress that we kind of remember her as. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is like a couple years after Sweet Charity. I mean, she's familiar with Fosse enough. It would have been an interesting portrayal. It would have been, a, I think, a different portrayal. It might have been uh, maybe not as on the nose to Gwen Verdon in a way. I mean, Gwen Verdon was actually involved in the film. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, who knows how, how, how that portrayal would have been. But I do think it would have been interesting. But you're right. I think Leland Palmer does do some fantastic work in this. That dance rehearsal scene where she's just doing her movements and he's talking around her. That's an incredible scene. It is. So I have a ton of notes for that. But the one thing that I wanted to say is that she does an amazing job of using the dance as punctuation to the discussion that's happening. Oh, it's true. And it's not just, you know, talk, 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 move. She's dancing throughout, Mm -hmm. which means she has this internal knowledge of choreography already. And then each movement really is a, a, a source of, you know, movement for the discussion and not the other way around. It's a good point. It's a good point. All right, let's move on. Folks, as you know, with any movie musical, you need to have four elements firing on all cylinders for it to truly be a successful, amazing movie musical. And that, of course, is the singing the dancing, the acting, and also the design. How good does this movie look? So what we like to do on this podcast is rank each section 1 to 10. 1 being the worst, 10 being the best. So, Nicole, I'm going to ask you. Mm-hmm. Singing, all that jazz, 1 to 10. What's your ranking and why? Uh, 6. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not about the singing. That's a good point. I don't think this movie's about the singing at all. I think uh, when their voices crack or not perfect i think it's left in for a reason Mm -hmm. i don't think fossey did anything unintentionally or couldn't get a better performance out of his actors and dancers i think he chose the performances that he did for a reason so i'm saying six because literally the vocals aren't through the roof but caveat to that i don't think they're meant to be i I agree 100 percent. i gave it a five for the same reasons. It's mm-hmm. not It's not a singing movie. It's not no. meant to be a, a phenomenally belting, singing-sounding movie. Uh, it's supposed to be a dance movie. And mm-hmm. I think the people that are cast in it have never been traditionally known as good dancers, good singers. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Ben Vereen being you know an uh, exception. Um, but, yeah, I think everybody else is an adequate singer, mm-hmm. with who, but a phenomenal dancer. Um, and, yes, I'm talking about Aaron Rankin when I say that. Stop. So, <laughs> I've got before some thoughts I know, on, before the podcast is over, you're going to do your horrible I might do my Anne Ranking. <laughs> I might break out my Anne Ranking, which is really like Anne Ranking circa 2005. I mean, it's not really a 1970s. I know, but nonetheless, Christopher does this impression whenever he wants to get on my nerves because he knows how much I love Anne Ranking. I do a great Anne Ranking impression. <laughs> All right. I think this is an easy answer, but Nicole, 1 to 10 on the dance. 10. <laughs> not even hesitate. Not even like judging it on a curve, like... Like, we knew going in this was going to be an amazing dance movie, so. No, it's a 10. It's a 10. It's a 10. Okay. I agree. I'm a, I give it a 10, too. <laughs> I mean, it better be a 10. I think if, it would be, I'd be shocked if it was anything less. Well, because every sequence 
is thoughtful. Right. Every single one. Even the fan dance and his hallucinations. Guess the fan dance is beautiful, but he has the three girls pinned up on ladders doing this very grotesque, like, German Impressionism. But like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I just, I feel like every single movement had intention and, that, yeah. and passion behind it. Well, also what I liked about this movie, too, was that it had, it didn't have what I call a dumb dance number. No. Where, you know, movies like Step Up or, you know, um, I'm trying to think, like you got, like dance, like known as like dance movies. You always have mm-hmm. these stupid numbers that take place. Like, I'm frustrated, so I'm going to walk into the backyard and just do a bust Are out you, of dance Wait, number. hold on. And yes, I'm going to bring up Footloose in that con- no, conversation too. stop that. I, I'm because angry the angry life, so warehouse drive to an abandoned factory and stop. just dance all over the place and do gymnastics. The and blah, angry blah, blah. warehouse dance is a pinnacle of Kevin Bacon achievement. So anyway, <laughs> I call these numbers stupid dance numbers. And what I like about this movie is it doesn't have any of those. All the dance numbers make sense. Mm-hmm. They tell a narrative of the story. I think the closest one that could possibly go, you know, you know, if there's a if there's a line, the closest one that comes to the line of being a stupid dance number is oh, the. What is it, Christopher? Um, Tell me. It's the number between Anne Ranking and his daughter, in their in his apartment. Oh, stop it! No, that is a vitally important dance number. Take is it though? That, oh shh. But is it? It is. Is it? It shows the joy of dance, and it shows why he does what he does. Don't make that face. But but he does no. that. But that that's achieved in almost every other number that's in there. No, but that. There are other elements that are at play in all of the other dances. This one is just to show the pure relationship that dance has brought them. Okay. I know. I'm talking with my hands. You are. I am feeling impassioned right now. <laughs> but I, I'm just saying, I, I think the movie is and, devoid of, of oh, and stupid dance. Numbers. it introduces us to Anne Ranking's really beautiful technique. That's true. She it does. it shows the relationship yeah. between Anne Ranking and his daughter. Mm-hmm. And... It also gives saying, us a little bit of vaudeville and the cabaret aspect from his childhood that's carried over without the grotesque, like, nudity and the mm-hmm. darkness from his childhood. That's true. It's an important scene, Christopher. <laughs> to each his own, I guess. To each his own. But anyway. Okay, so yeah, Not we both gave it a 10. For this we both gave it a 10. Like, it basically, this movie started at a 10 and then, like... Kept getting better. Could we give it an 11? No, we can't. But... Can we? Can you give us Final Tap Award next time? Which one can we give an eleven? Did this, did this go to eleven? That's a, you know. Well, if if, if we are going to give that award, then it starts with all that jazz, and yes. then like you know, it's a tough. That's a tough. You know, standard to, to meet. Oh, but Fosse turned it up to eleven. There you go. Sorry. All right, next one. Acting. Nicole, how'd you how'd you rate the acting on this? Nine point seven five. Really? That's high. I thought it was amazing. So just 9.75. So practically perfect acting in this. Practically perfect. Wow. I gave it an 8. Of course you did. Of course. Because I, <laughs> I, I truly critique these things. No. Because you don't like end ranking. Because I don't like end ranking. Um, and and her, her line delivery is just so dead-eyed. But anyway. <laughs> no. For, for me, like, you're getting, like, you're getting Roy Scheider at his peak. I mean, if you look at his career... 19 from 1971 to 79 i mean he is doing phenomenal work french connection he's in jaws um he does this he's done a lot of other stuff i mean he's he has an amazing decade so you're getting peak roy scheider at all of his powers in a, in a movie that he truly cares about his performance and you can see it uh in his performance mm-hmm. which is awesome he's not mailing any of that in whatsoever he actually for his audition wrote a autobiographical monologue based on Fosse's life and did that for his mm-hmm. audition for Fosse and that's what got him in the role. So 
like that in itself shows you how much he he really wanted to give everything he had. So he earned his Oscar nomination for that role. Also, acting wise, I mean, you're getting peak performances from people like Liam Palmer, mm-hmm. um, definitely from Anne Ranking, definitely from Anne Ranking. Um, Don't roll your eyes. I'm just yeah. <laughs> uh, and and there's just you know you're just getting everybody's firing on all cylinders. I mean, yeah. even you get like you even get a little bit of Wallace Shawn in this movie, which I love. Yes. And then even like you could even say that this was the first movie that really kind of kicked off people perceiving Jessica Lange as a serious actress, as a quality actress. Because before this, she had only done King Kong, the remake of King Kong, which was atrocious. And she was kind of viewed as being like more of a starlet than a, you know, a serious actress. Mm-hmm. But this really kind of kick-started everything. And then, you know, within the next couple of years, she's, she gets an Oscar nod for Tootsie. And then she's off and running at that point. I mean, she's had five Academy Award nominations by now. So again, this kind of kicked off everything for her. Um, so again, you're getting, you're getting people that are firing on all cylinders. So I'm going to give it an eight. What, what took it away from a 10? Anne Ranking. Oh, I'm just saying. Anne Ranking's a dancer. She's a phenomenal dancer. She's one of the best, most iconic female dancers of the past 40 years. Having said that, her acting and her singing does not nearly match her dancing ability, which is not, you know, I, I think that's, you know, it's, it's a fair thing to say. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just that she's an incredible dancer. But there are scenes in there where that really require her to go to depths with nuance in her performance, especially when he says he loves her, especially when she's you're angry at him and they're having that confrontate, but confrontation. But I also in the, wonder. In the bed. But what she's like, I wish you weren't so generous with your, you know, woo-hoo. with your. Oh, are we allowed to swear on this? I don't know. Let's not. But because okay. um, I have that line underlined as one of the best know. lines in the movie. It is a great line, and the way she delivers it, I mean, it just. But see, I disagree. Like when we, when I'm super angry at you, mm-hmm. and now to be fair, because they were in a relationship. Like Let's be she, honest, you're never really angry with me. Oh, please. <laughs> you might be after this podcast. Because <laughs> I give this an eight. But, <laughs> but when we're upset with each other, mm-hmm. we don't yell and scream. We don't carry on. We right. still converse with one another because we respect each other right even when we're super angry but you also so, show genuine emotion when you're yelling at or when you're getting angry with me and upset with me as she did not in those moments but oh, i see, digress i, just, I, I digress right. that's another Agreed debate for another time if we ever do another movie with Anne making in it we can have this discussion again <laughs> i'll bring a sword <laughs> there you go all right design uh nine yeah me too i give it a 10 i think first of all they're working within a, a 12 million dollar budget for this movie for starters okay then a 10 yeah because you're doing i think for what the budget was they did a lot with it Mm -hmm. um and there were little things that i liked little touches in the movie that i liked like when he's escaping from his hospital room and he's in the basement of the hospital or the boiler room he's just kicking water around that's a dirty gross thing that water probably naturally was there Mm -hmm. i like the fact that they just kind of kept that in there that's nice in fact um i think there's a during the hospital hallucination scenes there is a fantastical yet very low budget quality mm-hmm. thing about that that I really really like so yeah I think and I think just in terms of design overall yeah I give it a 10 yep I, and I also think they captured the moment you know that moment of New York being in the theater scene in, in New York at that time really really well uh, on that end alright folks let's move on we'd like to do another thing with all these movie musicals Obviously, there's a lot of songs, a lot of things get considered, things that are put in, things that are thrown out. So we do three number type of categories. Numbers that we needed, 
typically with most musicals that are based on um, stage shows, not everything makes the final cut for the film. This is a, a different example, but you know, still we have that that category numbers that we needed, numbers that we could do without, maybe numbers that you know eh, probably didn't need that in the show in the movie, and then finally the new one is numbers that we're fast forwarding to because let's be honest, sometimes we might not want to sit through some of the non-born you know exciting parts of the movie and we might fast forward to a specific number in that entire film. So now, Nicole, I'm gonna start with you. Obviously, we, we're numbers that we needed non-applicable because again, it's everything not, is important and needs to be in right. this movie. <laughs> any, well, does that answer the second question? But any numbers that we could do without in this movie? I I don't think so. I think some of them could be a little shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, the hospital sequences, not the hallucinations, but when people are dancing in his hospital room, things like that. I think those, that's not really a number. That's really it's just not, a but, montage. But yeah, I mean, those could be a little bit shorter. Sure. But otherwise, I think everything has a reason. There's a reason it's in the movie. I agree. Even even the number that comes to the borderline stupid dance number with Stop his daughter it. and, and <laughs> ranking. No, I think I think you're you're right. I think every every number in this this film has a purpose and needs to be in this film. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think there are also numbers that you could probably take out and it doesn't take away anything from the movie, so to speak. But, like, you know, Who's Sorry Now, you know, the Busby, Berkeley-inspired feather dance. You probably don't need that to get the point across, but still. But there's there's that dark humor, too, that I think at that point in the film, now that you've seen all three of the women in his life dance, mm-hmm. you know, Who's Sorry Now is the humor that you need before it's all over because I think it's a good point all right number that you're fast forwarding to if you have to fast forward in this movie if I have to fast forward it's to um and ranking solo wait really oh wow you're going that far okay it's just that as a dancer meant a lot to me it really did good point it's a good one uh for me it's take off with us mm-hmm. that entire sequence i think it's just it's awesome i think if if someone was to ask me can you you know give me give me a, a quick brief lesson on, on bob bossy and, and, and examples of his choreography i would just put up that scene and say, well it does hit every style yeah so I mean, here it is and from his direction from his creativity to his you know his boldness I think it's just, it's awesome. Can I make a statement as a grown-up adult dance teacher now, though, about that sequence? Please. Um, I hate seeing Take Off With Us and two ladies from Cabaret at dance competitions. Just putting that out there as a statement. Um, I don't think it's appropriate for kids to do that movement. Oh, so you actually go to youth competitions and you see people doing that i saw a trio with two girls and a boy doing two ladies as a tap dance they were eight they were in the eight-year-old category and so not only is it inappropriate for them to do the movement authentically they're not paying homage to the source material right because you're taking the audience away from that yeah So. so folks if you're a choreographer at a children's dance studio stay away from that stuff well, and Please. like some of our students are doing mine hair this year, but there are teen dancers mm-hmm. and they're covered and they're doing a Fosse style. But it's, I just, as someone who loves this style and loves the meaning behind the work to see it 
baby down makes me upset, but also to see children being exposed to work that they're not ready to understand yet yeah, really bothers me. So sorry. Dance teacher That's rant okay. over. All right. What's timeless and what's dated about this movie? Let's start with timeless. Nicole, what's timeless about this movie? The choreography is timeless. Um, the conversation about death and what it means mm-hmm. and... Like we've had people in our lives that have had cancer and we've had like my, you know, my father was sick last year too. And I just, I feel like this movie, I can watch it whenever and there's part of it that touches me. So I think the conversation through movement and through actual storytelling about what it means to die, what it means, you know, all of that, Mm -hmm. um, I think is never going to stop having meaning. And again, the choreography I think is just... It is a perfect snapshot of what dance can be. Yeah, I agree. I think Fosse is timeless. I think, you know, when I I wrote an article a couple of years ago where I ranked like who I felt were the most important. Oh, I remember figures <laughs> figures in musical theater history of the past hundred years, and I put Fosse number one. I know, and was controversial to you? No, but do you remember we had an argument about it because you were going to put him as like number three, and I was like, well, I was never, I was never going to do that. I, I just did that to mess with you. But <laughs> no, I, I think I think Fosse is is the most important person in musical theater history of the past one hundred years because his his style of of choreography is definitive Broadway. I mean, if I if I was to go up to a random person on the street and say, do me a favor, can you just do an impression? of what you think Broadway dance is. Nine times out of ten, they're going to do something that's Fosse-esque. Mm-hmm. And um, that, I think, is, is his appeal. That's his myth. That's his legend. Well, now. part of his style, too, is because it's based on his own insecurity and his own... Uh, where, what he felt his faults were. I mean, mm-hmm. he had ballet training, but he didn't have great turnout, so his dancers were turned in. Yeah. I mean, he didn't love his hands. He didn't like that he was losing his hair. They're suddenly everyone was wearing bowler hats you know it was Mm -hmm. his style his internal you know essence that's all over this choreography right right i think something else that's timeless about this film is amphetamine abuse unfortunately (laughs) timeless timeless, yeah no that's not gonna end anytime soon unfortunately um in fact i think it's probably gotten worse maybe i don't know really i don't know i mean i think I've heard, See, I think dancers have become much more. Oh, I, I just meant overall. Oh, I, just meant I was going to say, yeah, amphetamine. But I, also, to your point, I think I, I have I have heard stories. I have I have been forwarded emails about drug abuse going on in in ballet companies, mm-hmm. and, in certain um, theater circles, and things like that. And it's not. I'm not talking about like cocaine and heroin. I'm talking about speed. I'm talking about amphetamines and things like that. So. Mm-hmm think you know when you're talking about 12 hour rehearsal days and stuff like that yeah you, a lot of people are fueled by those types of substances um so unfortunately i don't think that's going to stop anytime soon well i do think it's changed a little bit and i think the uh, addiction of healthy living of you know dieting and things like that has taken over some of that mm-hmm. but all right nicole What's dated about this movie? Well, let me start with this. What's not dated about this movie? No, <laughs> but no, there's a lot of things that are obviously dated about this film. Um, what were you, what were some of yours? Um, the smoking. Now, granted, it's used as a point of humor yes. for most of the movie because he's commenting on how ridiculous it is that ever, I mean, his doctor is smoking in his face while he's giving him a lung exam. <laughs> That's that seems hilarious, by the way. It's I mean, it's very funny. Um, what's dated? Dirty hospitals. Mm it grossed me out and it freaked me out and this, for the same reason that I get scared in The Exorcist 
as dirty yellow hospitals. I want them to be white and clean and neat. Sterile. Yeah. Sterile. Um, and lastly, how they treat sex. Mm. I think treatment of women in this movie is pretty, through a 2018 lens, is pretty bad. It is. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't, one could not do, a director could not nearly behave that way in today um, than he did that than he no. did back then. And I think, I think, again, that speaks to Fosse's myth and legend is mm-hmm. the fact that when all this stuff did break, nobody came out and said, by the way, Bob Fosse did this, this, and this. Like, he never, be, he never got pulled into that Me Too type of controversy. And, Probably because he's Bob Fosse, and it's like well, and I also he's also wonder, been dead for you know. 30 I mean, he's, years. yes, he's been gone for a long time. But and again, I am not speaking to this personally because I have no gosh darn idea about any of it. But from what I've read um, in Sam Wesson's biography of him and some other um, smaller biographies, is that. Not that it ever, you know, not that it was never warranted or, you know, anything like that, but that a lot of people knew that he wanted to please them so badly that they wanted to please him. So the consensual aspect of it was a little bit more muddied than it might have been in other ways. That's a good point. But again, this was 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. So who knows? I don't know. Yeah. I think what else is dated, obviously, New York City as a whole in this movie. Doesn't have that, that griminess that it does that you know you see in this in this movie and a lot of movies of that era. Like right. Serpico and, all, and a lot of those films. And I miss that. I won't lie, folks. I love New York City in the 1970s. I love seeing films. It just, I, I would love to have been in that city um, at that time. I don't know why. I just, I love it. So, yeah, New York City does not look great in this movie, but it's not supposed to. I think also budgets being, budgets of shows being less than a million dollars, definitely dated. <laughs> um, well, because they, at that yeah. scene, they go over the finances, and it's oh like... Oh, my God, that scene is so powerful, though. Right. Because, I mean, they're literally, as they're tearing apart the budget, they are literally showing his insides. hmm Like... Yeah. Really, I, I love I that mean, juxtaposition there. Well, I mean, it's really intimate, though, because when you talk about money, it's a personal thing. Yeah. Like, it's... But it's just, it was so funny to hear the, the numbers, like, for mm-hmm. how much everything costs, because I'm like, yeah, take that and multiply it by 10, and that's basically what you've got today, especially for a Broadway musical. Um, right. You could not put on a Broadway musical today less than a million dollars on Broadway. Never would happen. Um, anything else dated that you found in this movie before we move on? Um... <laughs> now Sinatra will never record. <laughs> yeah. I think mentions of Sinatra at all in this movie. Yeah. Um, let's see. I know I'm taking too much time. That's we okay. We already talked about it. You talked about your, your studying um, causes. I know. Uh, I love how they're... So all of the discussions with death take place backstage. Mm-hmm. And... That that image to me that he's just kind of waiting in the wings for what happens next is absolutely beautiful. But that's not what backstage looks like anymore. No. No, definitely not. Definitely not. All right. So let's move on. Let's move on to our next section. Uh, as you know, folks, we like to give out some awards 
towards the end of this podcast for folks that we feel gave the best performance in their certain area, the worst performance in their certain area, and also what's called the Bumlet Award, which is given to someone who just truly knocks it out of the ballpark as either a background actor, chorus member, supporting actor, whatever it may be. So for this movie, because, you know, typically we do like the Barber Award for the best singer in a movie, but because, you know, this is obviously a dance movie, I thought we might switch it up. So for dance movies like this, I'm going to call this the Fred Astaire mm-hmm. Award for who is the best dancer in this film. So, Nicole, who is your pick for best dancer in this film? The Fred Astaire Award. And ranking. Yeah, me too. I give it to Anne ranking as well. I mean, to your point, that, that solo that she does, absolutely incredible. I mean, you can see why she was the, the muse, the starlet, mm-hmm. so to speak, in Fosse's life because she just nails that choreography perfectly. It's ridiculous. Yes. And... You know, she looks great in this movie. Her performance is great in terms of her dancing. Definitely. <laughs> so I'm a, I 100% agree with you. Anne Rankin gets my Fred Astaire award. Okay. All right, the next award, folks, who gave the worst dancing performance, or at least amazing, I guess you could say. Uh, I'm calling this one the Julia Stiles Award, <laughs> named after the immortal Julia Stiles performance in Save the Last Dance, which if you watch that movie, uh, if you are not laughing by the end of her solo, uh, then, you are, then you're a robot folks because that's just she's just terrible in that movie anyway she's a great actress just uh-huh. you know not a dancer poor julia poor julia <laughs> all right so who gets your julia styles award for this um least, least great dancer least great dancer unfortunately is going to go to roshatter but only because he's the only one who wasn't a dancer yeah that's a point that's a good point uh i'm gonna give it to the dude in the beginning of the movie that illustrates the point that not everybody in open call is a great dancer. Okay. The, the guy who's clearly off from everybody else, who mm-hmm. probably, in, in truth, is either an amazing dancer and was just acting bad, mm-hmm. or truly was just a, an extra that they brought off the street and just yeah. couldn't do choreography. He's one of the two. And um, I thought that was, he was by far the worst dancer in the movie. But if we're going to count, like, you know, people that actually really do a lot in this movie, then obviously I, I agree with you 100% Roy Schotter. Uh, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, though. Yeah. The Russell Crowe Award is in play in this movie, <sighs> and it goes to Anne Rankin, because she's a terrible singer. Oh, thank goodness. I thought you were going to give it to the kid. Oh, I'm not a monster. Well, last night you were like, the kid's getting that award. <laughs> well, I slept on it, but, you know, I'm not a monster, oh, for God's sakes. Come on now. Um, all right. The Bumlet Award. Folks, if you have, if you don't know who Bumlet is, do yourself a favor. Go watch Newsies, the original film from 1992. He's played by Dominic Lucero. He's the guy spinning on the fan at the end of the King of New York number. He's absolutely incredible, and you can't take your eyes off of him for the rest of the film. And then we rewind it and watch it again. You're watching him from the very beginning. So I wanted to name an award after him because he sadly passed. Nicole, who gets your Bumlet Award for this movie? Uh, Catherine Doby. Yeah. She's great. Now, what is what is her relationship to Fosse again? She was one of his dance captains. She was cast in a lot of his shows mm-hmm. and many of his tours and she has been one of the arbiters of the Fosse style and help you know kept it alive for a long time so there you go I like and it every scene she's in I can't help but watch her and say yay Catherine Doby <laughs> for me I'm gonna give it to Sandal Bergman yes you know, because she's amazing she's incredible in the, in the takeoff with us air erotica number it I think in the 1970s it took I think in any era, it takes a lot of guts to to bear nudity mm-hmm. in any film, uh, but especially in that time, 
you know, I think it, you really, when it wasn't necessarily as common as it is today, mm-hmm. so to speak, with cable and stuff like that, um, I, I gave her a lot of credit for that. Plus, I mean, you know, you told me, mm-hmm. I found out this later, too, and through research, is that, you know, she was brought in late. And she basically taught that number before two days should, before. Yeah. Um, and they basically said, like, you know, Fosse called her and said, we're doing this number, I want you in it. And she's like, okay. And then yeah. she just came and did it. And she's phenomenal in that role. And, and I always wondered, like, you know, why she didn't, her career never took off in the way that I thought that this would be truly a launching pad for her. But then I looked at her IMDb, and mm-hmm. she did a lot of kind of fantasy films. Like, she was in Red Sonja, yeah. uh, Conan and the Barbarian, where she actually won a Golden Globe Award mm-hmm. for that, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, since then she's done a lot of, like, science fiction B-movies. So it's mm-hmm. like, meh. You know, I kind of well, wish I she had a I think she career. wanted to be an actress, and mm-hmm. that's, you know, not a bad thing, but right. she ha- she's an amazing dancer, and that also, I mean, it just goes to show the relationship that Fosse had with his dancers. Right. That right. they're, I'm, it, I'm sure it was not all sunshine and roses, and that there was lots of, you know, tension and disruption, but there had to have been trust there. Definitely. as well as a director and a choreographer definitely all right last question nicole should this get a remake no <laughs> emphatic no no but technically is it i mean we all know that the miniseries on fossey is coming starting sam rockwell as bob fossey but that's michelle not... williams and gwen verdon what i'm against is this saying all that jazz starring channing tatum like mm-hmm. i don't I don't want that. That would I, be amazing. No, it would not. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. I mean, the, this is a piece of art, and it's mm-hmm. also a stamp on that time in an artist's life. And to have that recreated in a way that's not done with just as much love and passion, mm-hmm. I have no interest in. Now, do I have an interest in watching this miniseries? Heck yes. Right. But it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's interesting, too, is that you have... You know, at the time, a lot of people might have called this, like, an example of self, self-indulgence self by a director. Oh, yeah. I know it was. But in the decades since, you could say that Fosse basically, this is the best Fosse biopic we could probably ask for. You know, definitely mm-hmm. overdramatic, and I think in that sense, not probably not realistic to what his actual life was in a lot of places. pretty close, though. Pretty close, but amplified. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, still, it's like if you want a good, good Bob Fosse biopic, I mean, just, you know, the, the list begins and ends with all that jazz. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, f- when you're doing a, a miniseries, especially an eight-part miniseries like they're, they're planning, which I still have no idea how they're going to do, um, you know, we'll see. But, you know, I well, don't know. And that's, I mean, I'm, I'm nervous about the dancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they hired really great actors. Right. And they have some really great dancers but you know can sam rockwell dance i don't know I don't well, know. well I, that's the great thing is i don't know if like he'll need to like depends on where like the i mean are they starting in the 40s and 50s because if that's the case then he's got to be able to dance that's a good point we'll if see if they're starting in the 70s then maybe not as much we but, shall see um yeah anything else before we go yes Okay. <laughs> um, the, I'm still so I've been thinking about the end of the movie all day today mm-hmm. and that beautiful like the disgusting but beautiful picture of him dancing through the basement of that water Yes, like that image has been stuck in my head and then 
So he sits with the gentleman in the cafeteria and they're connecting. And when he gets pulled up to stand up and gets taken away back to his room, he's exposed completely in the back. Mm -hmm. And like to, I mean, he's all of his weakness is shown in that moment. Like he went from a little bit of euphoria and freedom and real personal connection to just a body. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't, it's been playing over and over in my head and I just, it's, there's so many really important visuals in this movie that I think also get overlooked yeah. for the dancing. Well, I think it's, it's again, I think to my, my earlier point that I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is a movie that requires you to watch it at least twice to cap, to be able to, to notice all these different things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I'm really glad we got to do this, you know, for this podcast and I'm glad we got to do it this early because, you know, we haven't really talked about Fosse that much at all on this podcast so to be able to kind of tackle his you know masterpiece so to speak uh, is huge so that's pretty much going to do it for us here at, at the movie musical shakedown you're giving a face like you want to say something else <laughs> all right w- real quick what do you want to what else do you want to say about this movie okay sorry uh so when they're doing the table read and mm-hmm. he's only hearing silence yes like it just shows how painful that is for him yeah. and i thought it was so funny to watch and granted he's also literally in pain because he's about to have like a coronary episode that's true i think any writer or director has probably had that same feeling at a table read right as well like it, I know just, I it stood out so. to me because it's the only time that they use silence mm. um it's great okay that was my last note so. you sure okay i mean i'm sure there's more i'm but. sure i mean you could do a three-hour podcast on this movie and still not cover everything you probably want to talk about because you just love this movie so much. So that's fine. I know. Well, and that's, I won't lie. My relationship to it has changed a lot in the past couple of years because I don't want to be a Fosse apologist Mm -hmm. if he, if his, you know, relationships were soured, Mm -hmm. you know, if he, if he did things that he shouldn't have done, but at the same time, I can't take away from what an artist he was and how much he's affected my life. So that's true. And 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 you've gone on to become an award-winning choreographer. And I will continue to say that. <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for listening to the Movie Musical Shakedown. Once again, we are doing this every single week here at the Onstage Blog Network. Every every single week, a brand new Movie Musical Shakedown. Um, I cannot tell you what we're going to be doing next week because I have not decided yet. I have like I've narrowed it down to like three finalists that I think would be very appropriate for the start of 2019. So we will we will announce that when when it comes. But I'm looking step up to. No, not yet. <laughs> but I do have feelings on step step up too. Of which, course you do. <laughs> like I said, if we if on year four we might get up get Viva to step Las up too. Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, we will do an Elvis film at some point, I promise. But anyway, folks, thank you for listening to this podcast uh, again. Like I said, you definitely can see all of us uh, or hear all of these podcasts on Podbean, Spotify. We are making waves and attempts to get onto iTunes and Google Play. But in the meantime, you can get all these podcasts on onstageblog.com at the Onstage Blog Network. But thanks again for listening to this, and we will talk to you soon. Have a great rest of your night. Get changed! All right! You, sir, are about to shake. And in the end, should someone die?